Welcome, welcome to the Social Living Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Green, and my co-host, Jam. How are you doing? I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. I'm good. I'm good. I've had two days off this week, so yeah. Refresh. Nice. Ready to go. Ready to go. Yeah. How's the week been overall? Yeah, good, man. Went to our Snow Lego concert on Monday in Bristol. Just popping. So yeah, it's been a nice, been a nice start to the week. That's good. Valentine's and that. Celebrating. Yeah. Of course, of course. What about you? How's things with you? Yeah, man, it's been good. It's been good. Um, busy week. It's always a busy week with me, man. Mm. Uh, challenging one. Uh, a lot of movement. A lot of movement around clients and stuff. But um, yeah, man, we move, man. It's good. Uh, a lot of father duties this week. My son's been ill. So a lot of like clinginess and stuff. But mm. it is the duties of being a, a dad in it. So you can't, you can't, you can't run away from that. So. Yeah, man, it's been good, man. It's been good. It's also been a busy week on on socials. Things been trending. Um, obviously, social media. Well, I guess Valentine's Day was a big thing. Seen a lot of uh, a lot of women talking up the stuff about what a guy should do for Valentine's Day and stuff like that. Has it always been a big thing for you? Not for me, you know. I don't know if it's just because of what, just because of my relationship. We've never gone too too mad over Valentine's. Birthdays might be different, but. Never Valentine's has never been a, a, a big focus of ours, which is fortunate because yeah, I'm not that I'm not that way inclined. So yeah, I'm, yeah, ha- I'm happy yeah. with that. But yeah, so it's always been quite chilled on yeah, my side. Yeah. What about you? How how's how do you how yeah. do you treat the missus? For us, it's always been chilled. I feel like it like with a child, it gets a little bit more difficult, like in terms of like being able to be like having that, that kind of alone time, if you get what I mean. Mm. Um, so it does make it a little bit harder, but Again, we didn't go all out. We never, we never did go all out. I feel like there's a lot of expectations, especially when it comes to social media, for you to have the flowers. I saw, <laughs> I saw Ashley Waters. I think what he did is he hired a private chef to come to the house, uh, a masseuse. Uh, I think it was a um, uh, who does your, who does your nails like pedicures and and. Manicures, what I can't remember what they're called. Uh, they they came to the house and they did that. So he pampered his girl at home and stuff. But it's like not everyone can do that. Nah. Um, I seen I seen ZZ Mills come out and say, you know, if your man doesn't make this a big deal, then he's not the man for you and all this stuff. And I feel like a lot of people who do this stuff or talk this stuff, they have not been in relationships for a long time or they're single. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all the guys that are, are fresh into relationships that come <laughs> Yeah, one hundred percent. So, yeah, I just seen, I've been seeing that a lot. Um, but I did want to quickly discuss, I guess the the biggest thing that probably happened over the weekend, Super Bowl. I don't even know what number it is. I'm not American, so I do apologize. But the big Super Bowl happened Sunday night, and there was a what, was it, what would you say like a a, a memorable a memorable halftime show mm-hmm. um their halftime shows are always something big it's always something to talk about but in this case i feel like i watched it and i just felt like i was in my i was in a vibe like i've never i've never really watched some of them before and felt this way mm-hmm. but this one was like a moment in time snoop dogg dr dre kendrick lamar eminem mary j blige <laughs> These are some big names, 100%. And if you haven't seen it, definitely go ahead, check it out. You can see it on YouTube. Uh, 
But Dr. Dre being the composer who he is and basically kind of bleeding all these guys through and doing it, like them just being LA at halftime, I just thought it was amazing. Mm. It was an amazing, it was an amazing show. And uh, obviously mainly black entertainers as well. Obviously Eminem did his thing. I heard he even went down on one knee as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, to support as well, which is good. I don't think the NFL liked it, but again, that's another subject. But I just thought, yeah, wow, that was an incredible show. Did you get to watch it in the end? Yeah, I watched literally about an hour before before the pod. I um, got a chance to watch it, but yeah, again, it's an iconic moment. Just seeing Mary J. Blige just go ham like on her performance. She left it all on that stage, like. Trust good me. to see. It's good to see. Again, she's, she's definitely top three of my artists. So to see her on that yeah. level, was, yeah, it was good, man. It's sick, it's man. Good. I think like all those artists, their their prime, apart from Kendrick Lamar, maybe their prime was like ten years ago, mm. like even before that, and they still were able to kind of hit the notes and move like Fifty Cent upside down. You know, mm. I, I thought, yo, that was sick. <laughs> like it was all, it was it was it was proper popping. So yeah, man, big up the Super Bowl. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, I guess one last thing, obviously, we can't talk about the Super Bowl and not really touch on Arsenal as the owners of Arsenal <laughs> own the LA Rams and obviously they they um, they um won the Super Bowl. Mm. So I'm hearing a lot of talk like, oh, now Stan Kroenke's won the Super Bowl. hundred and eighty million pounds is coming to Arsenal. <laughs> that was always going to be the story. Like, the journalists <laughs> have, that, have that written up as soon as the LA Rams won it, it was ready. It's there to publish. They're ready to send that out. <laughs> what do you reckon? Uh, to be fair, they've they have they have been spending over the last few years. So it wouldn't surprise me if we did go all out and with the with the summer we're expecting in terms of signing strikers and stuff like that. I wouldn't put it past them to spend that amount, but yeah. We're Arsenal fans in it. We can't, we can't get too carried away. We've Trust all been me. here before. Trust me. <laughs> we all have been here before. Um, yeah, man, I think I'm ready to move on to the like we got a special guest today. Mm. I have a, a very, very special guest for me, someone close to my heart. Um, yeah, like I'm ready to kind of bring this person in. Uh, today's topic is before we do bring him in, today's topic is how to go from an aspiring footballer to a career in medicine, right? So, I'm about to introduce someone who. Is like a brother to me. He's a father. He's a student. He's a very, very hard worker. Um, to me, he's almost like a guardian angel just because we've known each other since like four or five years old. So it's like we've kind of like almost lived like parallel to one another and we still remained in contact. So, yeah. And also, we used to play football together. And now he's fully on his way to, you know, starting his career in medicine, which is like, how do the two kind of go hand in hand? So today we want to give him the platform to be able to share his journey. So without further ado, welcome to the podcast, AJ Olobode. Yo, 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 yo. Thank you for having me, Jay. Thanks for having me, Jams. No My worries, man. It's good to have you here. Thank you, thank you, thank you, man. That's good, man. I feel like uh, you got a, you got a, you got a story to tell, you know. And um, 
is that I'm just I'm just so grateful to have you on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, a journey from playing football to, you know, being on your way to becoming like a doctor or working in medicine, to me or to many people might not people might not understand that. Like, how do you go from this to this? How did you get there? Do you know what I mean? But I guess the first place to start for me is let's start with football. Like yeah. what where where did football first enter your life? Like when do you remember your first memories of playing or even watching football? Uh so probably my two first memories just off off the cuff was so my, I remember going to like a a Sunday market. It might have been in Lewisham or something. Um, with my parents, and I remember seeing a Millwall kit. It was like blue, uh, and had like the white lion. Uh, and I told my mom like I wanted it, and I think maybe for several weeks prior, I'd been saying I wanted something from the Sunday market, be it like a Robocop toy or satin. And she couldn't say no, so she bought me this Millwall kit. Didn't know who Millwall was. Didn't know Millwall was just around the corner from my house. Didn't know the history of the club. But, like, it was kind of my first memorabilia of a football team. And I remember just wearing it at every opportunity. Like, I think it was one winter day at school and I tried to wear the top and the shorts. My mum was just like, nope, I can't let you do that. You know, Uh, so that's probably my first memory. And then as I just became a bit more aware of the sport by playing it like in secondary school uh no in primary school actually it was probably actually seeing the likes of you uh julian like wear arsenal kits um and talk about like uh anelka and ian Wright, and i think just wanting to like fit in with the cool kids in the school i thought i'd play football um and then it just so happened that the block of flats that I lived in, um, there was an Indian family that were quite big on football and they had like kids about my age. And I remember they taught me how to play this game called 66 on the wall. Uh, uh, and then that's probably like where the love of football happened and like was kind of like more introduced to like uh, the FA Cup um, in May. It was like the is it bank holiday in May uh, and like, um the game would be on and we'd be playing football outside and maybe the mum would come out and say Ray Parler scored and we'd be like yay um so that's probably where the memory starts man it's kind of been like in increments from the Millwall kit to um seeing the cool kids in school play football to um being introduced to Arsenal who I still support today despite (laughs) um so yeah man that's where football Start for me. I love I love that because you know what it is as well. Like obviously I know you personally, so mm-hmm. I know that like maybe your parents might not have been like so big on football and stuff, but mm-hmm. you found your journey through like your community. So like you go through that. Like, I see this with so many people. Like they go through this stage of like they like football, but they don't necessarily know like what team to even gravitate towards or anything like that. So you kind of get what looks nice. So it might be that like, for you in this case, it might be Millwall. In other cases, it might be, um, you know, it could be Manchester United or or whatever. It could be your local team. Like for us, it would have been Dulwich Hamlet. So like things like that, like it was those things that you kind of gravitate towards before you start to find out, okay, look, 
this guy is sick. His name is Nicholas Anelka. That's my team. Do you know mm. what I mean? Um, obviously, with us, myself, anyway, uh, obviously, I, I, my, my, my family's all Arsenal, so it was just Arsenal, like, especially from my dad's side anyway. And then I, I definitely recruited Jamel as soon as I could. Uh, uh, hopefully, he doesn't regret it. But <laughs> recruited, I think I would try to recruit everyone. Yeah, I, blame, yeah, I blame you. I blame you for the misery. <laughs> hey, but there were some good times. Don't worry. I know it might have been before you yeah, were born, yeah. but there were definitely some yeah, good yeah. times. <laughs> but, um, the archive. No. but yeah, no, it's good. It's good. And um, I guess the next stage then is like when did you start to take football seriously? Obviously, as you kind of like go through secondary school, you you start to develop, you hit puberty and stuff, so you start to realize that you probably have a bit of a talent. So hmm. at what where where at what point did you say like I'm gonna take this? As seriously as I could. So I think it would have been about, I think it was probably about the age of 10. Uh, I'm trying to think. It was probably about the age of 10. So my sister would have been about three or four. Um, so about, I think it was about the age of 10 that I um, kind of told my mum and my dad that I wanted to try and play for a team. Like you said, I didn't even know how to even go about that. Like my my parents, as supportive as they were, it wasn't something they knew about. Um, so uh, where I lived growing up, uh, Julian knows, like from your window, at a certain time, if, if, if Dulwich Hamlet were playing, you would see the floodlights. Uh, and it used to just catch my eye, like, that looks like a football stadium. I didn't know where it was. So I remember uh, probably like year seven, um, that was probably the first time I probably played 11 aside after playing like seven aside on the AstroTurf that I was like, okay, you're not like, I think... I should try and explore what full football is like. So uh, 11 aside, um, knowing the different positions. Uh, and I remember for about a year or so, at different opportunities, I would go to Dulwich Hamlet and they had a gym in the stadium. And you'd, I'd walk in and I would be like, how can I play for your club? How can I play for your club? And then I remember the receptionist was like, well, if you want to play football, like I recommend you contacting this number. So Dulwich Hamlet had like a sister club called Dulwich Hamlet Juniors. Um, and at the time they played, only a few years later did I realize that they played in Beckenham. Um, and for about a year or so, I was trying to get in touch with someone at the club because my goal was I need to play at that stadium. Um, and then around the same time, um, my secondary school uh, were doing trials uh, and I was lucky to get into the team. So when I realized that like I was quite decent at football, it was probably probably year nine. So like 14, 15, about 14. 14. It was yeah. about 14 when 
I kind of saw so I, the school that um, I went to. There were a few players that played at an academy level, and I realized I wasn't as good as them, but like I could keep up with them. And I was just like, if they're playing for Crystal Palace, if they're playing for South End, maybe. Mm. Uh, and I think year nine was probably a pivotal year for me personally because uh, I think I was invited to maybe like the in the, in the London schools trials. Uh, and also that year, my school put me forward to play in a tournament called the PlayStation Cup. Now, the PlayStation Cup was for year 10s, and they invited me to go with a few other people in my year. And I was like, okay, there's clearly something they see. Um, and then probably like the next level would have been um, joining a club that me and Julian played for, South Bank. Um, and it was... If I'm honest, I never knew I had the potential to score like 23 goals in a season, you know. And I was just kind of like, hey, like, I'm quite decent at football. Like, I'm very fast. And I think I was very, very coachable. And that's why loads of coaches kind of like took an interest in me. And then it was just like, why not, man? But like, it was kind of like blind. Like, mm. I had, I had no... internal motivation so it wasn't a case of like i'm going to go running uh because i know my fitness was going to count to my ability or i'm going to do um maybe the only thing i did was that kick-ups for instance but like i didn't know the importance of like uh you know working on different muscle groups or strengthening you know your head in or your left or your left foot I was like, I'm really, really fast, um, and that's going to continue to work for me. Um, so, yeah, it was probably about between the 14 to 16 that I was kind of like, I'm going to take football a little, a little bit more serious. But I didn't, I didn't know what serious looked like, if I'm honest. Mm. Um, so, yeah. That's good. I feel like also as well, you got to give credit to like, um, like obviously you talked about like that kind of like level of practice to kind of make you better. And it was kind of like almost like subconscious. I know, obviously, us growing up in London, we played a lot. We played a lot in the streets. Like we played a lot in cages, um, anywhere we where we could really. And we used to always kind of put pressure on ourselves to be better. So playing games like sixty six or uh, I think the I don't know what the equivalent is. Like um, in Gloucester, sometimes they play like is it. Uh, world world cup yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah like different things like that like so it, the game 66 is like you have to score a volley it has to be a volley right yeah volley yeah, or a volley half volley. In, 66 in 66 seconds you gotta score it in 66 seconds and then there's an element of you have to score more in the next 66 seconds so if you score one then you gotta score two in the next 66 seconds or mm. you gotta score three do you know what i mean so you gotta yeah. kind of do that and if so if the goalkeeper catches it you're you going go yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like all these different things is improving your technique because you're doing it. We're doing this for hours sometimes, like mm -hmm. whether it be but after school on a weekend or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're just you're going ham at 
on your mm. technique and you don't even realize. Do you know mm. what I mean? Um, and then obviously playing in cages and stuff like that. Sometimes it's like thirty kids and you got to keep the ball from thirty kids. Like and it's things like that. You have to be the quickest, otherwise you're not going to be playing. How yeah. how do you guys think um cage football shapes you as football players? Obviously, I didn't get that in Gloucester. We just had yeah. fields and and, <laughs> and potholes. But um, yeah, how do you think um cage football helped you as players? Well, me, physicality, man. Mm. Like, I'll be playing with people four, five years older than me, and they weren't gonna go light mm. on me, you know. Um, and I think besides that, um, there was the element of. Like Julian said, you had to be quick. You had to make up your mind very quick or someone's going to barge you mm. off the wall or... Yeah, so I think physicality and kind of being open to a bit of roughness kind of like gave me kind of an edge when it came to... Um, Playing maybe on on eleven on eleven side pitch and against maybe uh, a centre back because I was an mm. attacker whose biggest game you know was to you know pull your shirt or leave a bit extra when he slide tackle you like I don't I don't I can't recall a time you know me complaining about a foul like mm. it was only when you get older that people be like oh go down for a penalty or you know so. That was the biggest addition to my game. Like, I was down for a physical tough um, whenever it was necessary, man. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Julian? For me, uh, it's definitely, like, just the um, close control. That was it. I think that's the, the first thing that comes to mind. Like, when we moved away, and obviously you'll touch on this next stage of your life, but... When we started playing football at 11 aside, you could see, I feel like that my close control was the the main thing that helped me stood out anyway. Um, mm -hmm. And I had to, because it was like trying to keep the ball. I know I wasn't always the quickest. I was quick enough, but I wasn't the quickest. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't the strongest, but I was strong enough. And what separated me was the ability to be able to keep the ball for a longer period of time and beat maybe one person, two people, or do you know what I mean? And that was my thing. So I was always try to be on the wing, beat one or two people, and then try to go for goal. Do you know what I mean? That was just my thing. Or providing, I like to do that. So me and Bim, me and AJ used to play on the same team, and um, my thing would beat a defender, pass it to AJ. AJ scores. I'm happy. Do you know what I mean? And like that, that was my thing. So I feel like, yeah, that's the the biggest help for me anyway when playing cage football and stuff is that close control and. I don't know if I was that best suited for 11 aside football, but when it came to like small sided games, yeah. I feel like it was too easy. <laughs> I know, guys, it was just it was too easy. It was way too easy. So, yeah, man. So, obviously, I just touched on us kind of like moving away. So, you're 16 now. Um, you're taking football a little bit more serious. You're developed. You know, you're quick. You know, your strengths. And, um, yeah, tell us what happens after that. You know, you know, you you done your GCSEs. Yeah, 
So, you know, I think probably there's some sort of like domino effect because I think I want to say Jam was training at Heartbreak maybe at the time. Mm. Uh, and Julian went to see him train and then he was made aware of this college called Heartbreak. Um, and Julian was like, oh, there's this college in Gloucestershire called Heartbreak College. I'm going to apply. You should apply. They connected to Cheltenham Town. My eyes were like, okay, Cheltenham <laughs> Town. I know Cheltenham Town. Like, if I can survive in London, I can survive anywhere. Uh, so I remember, I don't know if, if we did it together, but I remember us uh, um, filling out a form for a prospectus and they sent us the prospectus with the form. Um, and I didn't know when Julian did it and Julian didn't know when I did it. But I remember the day we both came home from school and we lived like opposite ends of the street. And we both went into our house. And I think we both got letters from the mailman saying we were invited to interview. And we both ran out and <laughs> saw the chapel in the middle of the road, like, did you get interviewed? <laughs> When's your interview? And it happened to be on the same day, like maybe <laughs> half an hour apart. Crazy. Um, so it was just like, I felt like the stars were aligned. I was like, man, I'm about to go professional with my boy. I'm happy. You know, mm. I, I don't know if um, uh, around the time another friend of ours applied. Um, but fast forward, um, we both went to our interview on the same day. Um, interview went really well. Uh, I think we both got a place. Um, and then I remember... We were both invited to. I don't know what it was like a. Pre, is it like preseason? Preseason. I, I think we were there for like is it two nights maybe. Yeah. Okay, uh, so this was before you guys went off. Yeah. Practically. Okay. This cool. Before we went off, um, I think the idea was the coaches there were just going to see what sort of talent were coming in for the year, um, and I remember we all we all went back home, and I think the day we got home. The following day, we picked up our GCSEs. And then fast forward, we're at Hartbury now. Um, and yeah, for two years, uh, me and Julian lived in Gloucester. Um, and we lived, breathed football. Trust like, me. <laughs> Trust me. What I want to know is how, how the first like, month was culturally. Like, how did you guys kind of settle in and... I guess mingle with the other boys your age and because I know Gloss is predominantly white, so mm. I'd just be interested to hear like your perspective of how things how things were for, for the first month or so. I think the first month was honeymoon period. Like I probably didn't really It was probably halfway through like year one when it was kind of like ah like i'm not in london like <laughs> but I, think, I think in the first couple of months you know as with like any parent they want to set up their child for the best of success for the best of times there so like my mom bought me a laptop bought me speakers my mom's different she bought me a freezer when everyone else got a freezer. <laughs> um i think my mom sent me like 
bred and planting crisp in the post in the first couple of months. Uh, so the first couple of first month was cool. Obviously, uh, Julian was there. One of our boys was there. There was a quite there was, there was a crop of us that kind of just stuck together. Um, and yeah, the first month was nice. First month was nice. It was you know adapting to living in. It was kind of like an ensuite room, so you had your bedroom, study table, shower, toilet. Everything was in one place. Breakfast was at the top of the hill, and you had a strict, one day strict routine. But like Monday, Tuesday, you had lectures. Wednesday, you had football matches. You had training on a Monday, training thing on a Friday. But yeah, it was nice. It was kind of like it was almost, almost kind of like. With hindsight, what I now know football academies to be like, mm-hmm. you know, you have your jersey and you're, you're training at a certain time, you know, you're going to be at one end of the field, another person at the end of the field, you're doing drills. So the first month was nice. I wouldn't say I felt, I wouldn't, I faced any like culture shocks. Um, it was only after, man. But yeah, how, how, did, how did you find the first month, Julian? I'm going to, I'm going to say, because I remember something happening in the first month. So I'm just going to like kind of bring that up. Uh, but, <laughs> so I remember obviously we, we all moved to Hartbury and there was maybe a group of us who were from London. So naturally we're just familiar. We're more familiar with each other. So we already know culturally, you know, we're going to respect each other, you know, mm. as opposed to anybody else who doesn't really understand us. Right. But um, I, I feel like, we had a couple nights where um, it's our first couple nights there. We didn't anticipate to do like shopping or like, well, I think one day we missed the dinner <laughs> at the canteen because we just thought it might be open. And like, we're all here, like, we've got, oh, we got no food. Like, I'm like, oh, gosh, what are we, <laughs> we, we going to do? We're in the middle of the countryside. There's nothing here. Um, but we, we noticed like other dorms. I've just had left food. there. They they had food. They're leaving fridges open. Like we're seeing, wow, they got they got fan art, they got cook. And like um, we basically went, I don't it sounds bad, but we kind of went scheming and we were like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna go get some food. So we managed to like sneak into someone's dorm, um, not into anyone's room, but like we went into like their building or whatever, managed to get into their the kitchen. They had some crisps. I think they had some coke, and I think uh, I think that was it. That's all we needed. I think there was a bit of bread, and then literally everybody came back to mine, and we watched Scarface because we just thought, yeah, like <laughs> we, we, that was that's the like I guess that's the is that the street enough so to speak? It was like we didn't know what else to do. Do you know what I mean? And people had a food in an abundance, but they were still able to like go to the canteen, but we didn't have that luxury. You know, we had things like EMA uh, at our, um, our hands, which is like, if your parents don't earn enough, you could earn up to 30 pounds a week to be supported by the government. Mm-hmm. And we were on that. Uh, and I don't think that even had kicked in yet. So it was like, it felt like we were dead broke, like mm-hmm. dead, dead broke. Like we were going to like Asda or Tesco and buying like, rice and baked beans it don't even go but it's just what we have <laughs> do you know what i mean but um but for bims for aj specifically i keep calling you other name but for aj specifically we'll, we'll, we'll talk we'll talk about the name aj 
That's something. All right, cool. Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> so for AJ specifically, there's one moment where I remember us walking back from. So Hartbury had a bar. Um, we walked to the bar. Uh, I can't remember what we were doing there. I think we were just looking around. It's like the first one of the first couple of nights, and then we're walking home from the bar, and we hear someone from like the other end of like a car park or something, and they're making monkey noises. And that that just I I wouldn't I can never forget that. Do you know what I mean? Because it was at first I didn't know how to react because I was like, we're all talking to each other. Like, was that a monkey noise? Did they just make a monkey noise? Like. We're not sure. And then one person in the group was like, that was definitely a monkey noise. We're going to find this person right now. <laughs> and um, we tried to run after them, but we couldn't. We knew who it was and we saw them, but um, we couldn't catch up to them. But we didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to react. Uh, we knew we were a minority and we tried to bring it up. Um, but I still think for the college, they didn't know how to react either. And I, I don't think they were equipped to kind of take it any step further i feel like if that happened in today's day and age i think a lot would happen yeah um yeah. but back then it just it didn't happen but um in addition to, Jam uh, to jamal's question like obviously culturally there were some changes and i know things felt good for you especially straight away so uh aj's profile as a footballer is very athletic so i feel like straight away he stands out like he could just run down the wing and he's the quickest guy he's the quickest person on the pitch mm -hmm. <laughs> so he like stands out instantly and um and he was developed he was developed he had you know that divide in your leg every every footballer is trying to get that <laughs> do you know what i mean aj had that already mm -hmm. you know what i mean and i think a lot of these things helped you stand out so mm -hmm. i know for you out of the group that we had you were the first to break into the Hartbury teams so mm. how was that for you breaking into the, the Hartbury teams and were there any culturally, any cultural differences to London? Mm. Do you know what I mean? So like in the London changing room, you playing for South Bank and comparing it to Hartbury's changing room. It's a great question. I think this probably brings, brings me on to like the whole AJ thing. So yeah, my full name is Abimbola Johnson Olabode. And up until 16, everyone called me Bim. Uh, and when I came to Hartbury, um, with hindsight, there is some regret, but I felt like coming from London, living, living in Gloucester, I felt like my name was going to be a hurdle. Um, I remember in secondary school, um, when the teacher's going through the register uh, and they're trying to say your name and like, they're just like, and like, it got to a point where like, I just remembered the person whose name was above me surname. Oh, the moment they said their name, when it kept for my name, I'll be like, I'm here rather than them trying to mess up my name. So when it came to Hartbury, I was just like, this is like a fresh opportunity. You know, I think a, a year prior, like I changed my my mom changed my my birth surname to Olabode, um, and I felt like Olabode was a bit more palatable compared to my previous surname, uh, and I thought this was a nice opportunity to just kind of go by the name AJ, you know. Um, 
So that's where AJ came from. But like I thought, I feel like Kaepernick with the age we're in now, maybe I didn't embrace who I was, uh, and I wish I maybe asked people to go the effort to know how to pronounce my name. Like Bim was fine, but like if it takes you four attempts to learn how to say Abimbola, I'm worth that. You know, we, mm-hmm. we, we learn how to know we, we learn how to say Zuckerberg. You know, it's not easy, but like because he's a, a person of importance, we learn how to say that. So like that's where AJ come from. So if you see Julian call me Bim, I've known Julian since I was like four or five. That's what he calls me. Um, but yeah. So coming to your question, I think if I'm honest, I was a bit shocked by how quick I broke into the Hartbury team or maybe even caught the attention of some of their coaches there because I will hold up my hand and say of the group of people that went to Lon- went from London, Julian and another guy, don't know if I should mention his name, they were better footballers than me. From, from, from young, I would, I've always considered them better footballers than me, all round. Um, so I was kind of a bit shocked by how I broke in and it didn't even look like they'd even seen the potential of these guys. But like I took, I took the applaud nonetheless. As far as the change room, from, L- from London, like, you know, there wasn't really much. You just like turn up, <laughs> add your boots. Like for myself and Julian, like we played for the same team two years in a row prior to moving to to Gloucester. Like we'd kind of established authority in the change room. So like when they when the kits came out, like they saw number fourteen, they gave it to Julian. They saw number ten. They gave it to me, and everyone else can like pick whatever shirt they want. It got to a point where, like, I think we, me and Junior took our shirts home, like, and no one could say anything. So you come into this environment where, like, okay, you kind of feel like everyone's trying to stamp their authority, but like, I think some of these people maybe had played against each other growing up, uh, and like, you know, there's small talk going on between them, and I'm just kind of like, where do I fit in? type of thing um so as far as culture like there was a lot to learn like i saw people come with towels shower gel flip flops and i'm just like why (laughs) (laughs) it was a heartbeat that i learned oh these people are expecting to shower after the game and i'm just like okay like it was a thing so if you like if you didn't shower, they will ask you, like, are you not gonna shower? And it's not even like it's not even it was little to do with the hygiene, but it was the camaraderie. Like we, mm-hmm. we showered together. And that was and I, I saw Mandem naked. And I'm just like <laughs> cool. So it was kind of like, okay, give or take, like I I belong in this team because I've put in the work, but like 
I didn't want to be the guy that was awkward. Like everyone's in the shower. So like that that took some getting used to. Like I remember like if I'm being honest for a couple of games, I would shower in my boxes, like because I was like, this is this is the most I can do. Like <laughs> I can't get fully naked in front of you guys. We've all been there, man. So, <laughs> so, gonna, I just want to throw this out there. So, were you were you the only black person in the team at the time? Yes, yes, I and, was. And, I, I, I was the only black person in the team. And, and do you reckon that played a, a factor as well as to why maybe you might want to shower in your boxes or? You know, because obviously I know growing up in London, you play football, especially when you're playing like Sunday league teams and stuff like that. Half the time, there's no the change rooms not working, the shower mm-hmm. showers are the you know what I mean. The the facilities are not always there, so mm-hmm. it was just a thing where you you turned up, you get changed in your kit, you go home, you put your tracksuit back on, and then you shower when you get back home. Yeah. And it's yeah. very normal yeah. to do that. But then obviously now you you've stepped up, you've gone to Hartbury College. One of the, I think it was at the time, it might still be the best sports college in the whole of the country. Mm-hmm. So their facilities are tip top. So there's yeah. no excuse. You have to shower, you, you have to shower because the shower's there. Mm-hmm. Whether you live there or not, kind of thing. It's like, okay, the shower's there, it's clean. You have access to ice bath, hot baths, wow. you, like <laughs> you have everything there. So you can't like you can't be like, oh, I'm not gonna do this. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So do you reckon? Maybe either your skin color might, or any disc- discrimination or anything, any of these things that might be in your head that like a little chip on your shoulder it might not actually be true, but it's like mm. with these little things that may have played a part in the way you may have acted as well. So, like, I have to be completely honest. I think the biggest part for me was there's this whole thing about like black men are hung, you know, and I was like, <sighs> I don't I don't want to have I don't want to have a conversation about my man part like I'm just here to play ball mm-hmm. you know so that was like the big thing in my mind like I don't want to have that conversation um yes yeah, so th- that was that was the biggest that was the biggest thing it was like and like I I like I <laughs> with hindsight like Man, I saw I saw boys do stuff like as they're walking back to the change room, just in in anticipation for when when they get into the shower, like they they look a bit bigger than, and it was just like it was just kind of like you know what, like I'm not I'm not on that. Like I have a sense of like dignity, you know. Um, so yeah, that that was the big that was for sure like the biggest thing that kind of like caused me not to want to have a shower um, fully naked. And I think as far as like being received in the change room, I wouldn't say that I had any issues. I think I was quite convinced that I wanted my football to do the talking for me. And I think thankfully like my football did the talking for me quite, quite early. I think within, I think I scored, I scored on my debut um and then at, at home and then the second game we went away uh, i scored four um so yeah quite early like my football did the talking but yeah i think as far as like 
dis discrimination from the the people that I played football with, I would say for the most part, either I was naive or I or it, I, I was approached with a lot of curiosity. So for a lot of these people, I don't think they've ever been like in such close proximity with someone from London. So they will ask you like, where are you from? And I'll say like Southeast London. And it's like, where? Like not many people knew like Dulwich. So I would say Peckham. And when you hear Peckham, it's like raw. Like, have you seen someone get stabbed? And I'm just like, no, you know, like, um, so there was there was this there was this notion, maybe that either I was maybe a bad guy that was really good at football, or a good footballer that if you got in his bad box, he knew someone that could deal with you type of thing so th those are some of like the stereotypes uh that i definitely faced um and i think even uh moving to gloucester like where hartbury was it was quite quite a far away from town so like i think maybe for the first couple of months i would i let my hair grow you know and it was kind of like foreign to them you know to see someone let their hair grow up and i think at the time julian had came rolls you know yeah 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 came rolls yeah. yeah yeah and yeah, it was okay. kind of like like can i touch your can i touch your hair i think they got it more than me because they actually had braids but like going from like flat hair to like come the winter time i got a little fro and i'm, I'm picking it out it was all new it was all new to them man it was all yeah. new to them it's mad because um, it's, it's it's it'll be interesting to see the comparison to you, Jam, because obviously you've lived in Gloucester your whole life, and do you do you feel like you felt maybe some of the same kind of slight discriminations or stereotypes that maybe AJ has felt? Mm, yeah, definitely. But I, I think for me, where it kind of differs is because I've I've grew up in Gloucester. Um, this was just part of football, part of part of that community around football and, and the banter. It's only now looking back on it where, I've, where I start to think, okay, yeah, that's not right. That coach shouldn't have said that, that player shouldn't have said that, that player shouldn't have done this. That I realised that that some of these things are wrong and shouldn't have happened. But growing up, it was just, I guess I accepted it more. I guess like a bit like AJ said, I was a bit maybe a bit naive to what was going on. I just turned up to play football and that was it. And yeah, it did. But it's, it's an interesting story because yeah, being the only black person in any team up until up until I turned pro. So from five to eighteen, I've always been the only black person within the squad. So just being an outcast was, was normal. Mm -hmm. so I didn't have anything to compare that to, which probably made it easier almost. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's true. It's true. No, it's, 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 uh, I think it's a story that definitely needs to be told. I don't think many people even talk about it. Not even, I don't even know any professional foot players who talk about those kind of changes. Um, cause I'm sure like we've seen players who are like from the roads, like in London, like let's say someone like now Ranger, for example, he's gone to Newcastle. Like <laughs> that culture shock in itself is, it's going to be so mad 
Do you know what I mean? And he's like, he's obviously kind of more leaned towards some of the, like his friends around him had a negative influence on him, but we, we might have had a positive influence. So where he's saying, where, you know, someone's asking you, oh, do you know someone who's been stabbed or whatever? Like, we can't say that. But now Ranger might be able to say that. Do you know what I mean? And then it, that 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 stereotype is, is different for him. Mm-hmm. That means always going to be labelled the bad boy, blah, blah, blah. No one's going to see him as a person, as the individual. They're always going to be labelling him with this kind of, like, bad image sticker. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but I think it's just really important that you guys both share share those things. Um, but, yeah, back to you, AJ. In terms of, like, your whole experience at Hartbury, obviously, you was there for two years. You had a successful time there, I would say. Um that you were playing football, you scored goals, uh, uh, and then you kind of kind of go into the situation of where there's now competition. Uh, there's a new wave of football people coming coming in. Um, but I guess obviously you get that with anything, Jamel. I'm sure you felt the same way where you've you've got your pro contract and now you're fighting for a place as opposed to you're starting every week because mm-hmm. you are you know under un, you know for the youth team. So it's that men's football is a different thing. But for you, age like what would you say are some of the harsh truths that you found out playing football at a competitive level mm. that you probably didn't know or didn't even get to experience in London? There's politics, man. <laughs> yeah. politics. There's politics. Um, yeah, like Julian probably was there hearing me rant and rave. <laughs> Sometimes we talk about even... As, as and when necessary but like I think Hartbury showed me that there were politics that talent just isn't enough man um, and yeah I think there were probably times at Hartbury where I didn't enjoy my football um, just because of I was just like man I'm just I just want to play football like um, so yeah I think the harsh reality is that I don't want to say obviously I've never been like at an academy or like been maybe on the road to get to go pro but maybe like you said with anything there there are harsh realities and some sort of competition so yeah I think navigating politics was definitely something I wasn't aware of and it was it hit me hard it, it hit me really really hard like I think just for context there was um, in the second year of Hartbury, I think Hartbury had maybe it was the first time they had done it. I'm not sure because in in my first year, I wasn't aware of any people that had been picked up from release trials or exit trials. I think that's what they called them. Mm. In my second year, there were a couple of people that came in. So when I'm in my second year, they were in their first year, and at Hartbury or college football is under 19s. So there were people that came in um, that they had picked up from exit trials and some of them were good. But as far as those that were in my position, just because of where they had come from, I thought they had a bias towards them. Fair enough. But like my, my issue was when it came to Um, 
facts and stats, I was like, you can't ignore what I'm doing. Like, I remember there was a period where there was one particular player that was being started because I think he was at Derby. Fair enough. He was a different type of player to me. He, if I was to use present-day footballers, he was maybe a Giroud, could hold up the play, um, was fit for a 16 or 17-year-old, he had presence, while I was maybe your Eddie and Ketia, for instance. Like, Giroud may get like a flick on one every six games, but like, my stats were, I would come off the bench, bang one, come off the bench, bang two, come off the bench, bang three, and I was just begging to start, just begging to start, you know, and I, for a period, I didn't enjoy my football just because of the politics, and I think a, a second thing that was hard to, like, navigate was... um I think it's the idea of you kind of go from being painted like a picture and then you feel like it's taken away from you. So like in between the summer of year one and year two, um, I decided to stay in Gloucester one, to work, two, to use the facilities. And in that summer, like, I trained with the academy side because um, I was on campus. We had, like, uh, we did, like, hill sprints with the army. And I was kind of like, I feel like I'm going to be very close to the first team. And come the year, like, it was almost like, who's this guy? Like, and I was just kind of like, I was training with the first team. Are you not gonna like explain like what's going on? You know, and that's one of the harsh realities that, that I face. Like I kind of felt like I was kind of dangled a carrot and it was kind of just like taken from me and like no one no one told me kind of like what was happening, you know, and yeah, man, that's definitely some of the realities that I faced uh, just to say two when I was at Hartbury, man. Yeah, no, I hear you. I'm sure Jam's probably faced similar, uh, you know, politics when it comes to football as well. Because, um, you know, that competition in itself is... Because um, obviously you're, you're painting this picture. You know how good you are. They know how good you are. But then sometimes what the difference is... Like, we might be naive when we're playing, is that you think the difference should just be based on how good you are. Mm. But sometimes the difference is a player's reputation mm. uh, or where they've been before. They're just going to start every single game. Because, uh, yeah, okay, this guy was from Derby. That's it. Or maybe how they integrate into the team. Like, we've seen mm. people yeah. who are probably not the best talent-wise or even physically... But they get on so well with the coach. Yeah. Like they're just like hand on glove. 
and they'll just start <laughs> you're like mm-hmm. what what's going on here and um I, I can't lie I feel like I hit that reality quite early but I know with, with you AJ I know my first year I wasn't playing as much but it felt like a transition because as you stopped playing I started playing more yeah and yeah it was that was annoying because it was like all we ever wanted with us all the guys from London for us to all be on the same team at the same time and yeah. there'll be times where we just didn't understand why we couldn't just make this happen we felt like we have the identity of football that will raise the level <laughs> at the college like mm-hmm. Um, obviously the different styles of London. So London, you pass a move, pass a move, pass a move, quick feet. That's what it was about. I can tell you now, me and AJ did not have a long ball in our locker until we got to three. <laughs> <laughs> there was no, like, long ball was literally a side foot, <laughs> but you just lean back. That was it. <laughs> Like that was not that was no there was no spraying that was yeah. not a thing we yeah. had to learn that at Hartbury, right? Because obviously in cage football five aside, it's not what you do. You don't do that. So mm-hmm. that, that that's something that we learned. But um, I totally lost my point there now. But <laughs> um, I forgot what I was even saying. But anyway, <laughs> the um, I guess the where I'm trying to get to is that like we we quickly realized that. It's not about our ability that separates us. It's yeah. not. <laughs> it's it's something else. And then I feel like I quickly realized that. And once I realized that, I did an extra year at um at Hartbury, and that finally I just did, I just couldn't care. I just didn't care. Mm. And ironically, as soon as I didn't care, I was getting picked more. Yeah. And I was playing week in week out, and it was just like. And then there was people who cared, and they weren't getting picked. And like Julian, what are you doing? I'm like literally. I'm just here to try and score some goals. Like, yeah. that's what I'm trying to do. I saw some goals go home. That is it. <laughs> and um, I and I, I probably enjoyed my football more. I could mm. come out, be myself a little bit. But the regret was not being able to play with my friends. And then yeah. I realised that was what I loved about football, playing in London and stuff, was that I got to play with my friends. And that is something that I hold true to today, to today, to today is that i rather that than go play on a Saturday somewhere, don't enjoy it. <sighs> dealing with these shower shower stories, dealing with these referees, dealing with these coaches, like all that stuff. I was like, nah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with that. Um, and there's one memory, specific heart pre-memory, um, where we used to do this thing called like a round robin, where we have a small-sided games and um, all the London guys are all on the same team. And you play for two hours or whatever, and it was like one pitch is like the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. So you got like you got like League One, League Two, no, League One, Championship, and the Premier League, and maybe Champions League or something. Yeah. So like four pitches. And I think we started off at the bottom. And you just gotta work your way up. I think it's like seven minute games or whatever. We absolutely cleaned up everybody. <laughs> like, and I feel like it was only then I think they realized like, wow. They are yeah. good. I mm. mean, that was the only time they realized maybe our our ability. Because I think before then, individually, I feel like they they might not know how to integrate us into the team. You know, someone's got skills or whatever. They don't really understand how that works. 
Um, and then I don't blame the college for that. I blame I blame this kind of like England as a whole, just not knowing how yeah. to kind of bleed these kind of uh, players. Like there's so many raw players in London who even me and AJ know who we think they should they should have made it easy, like mm. way better than us. And mm. you know they it, we just can't find a way to bleed these guys through. But in in Brazil they can do it, in Spain they can do it, but you know in in England they they couldn't do it at that time. Now they can do it, but um, I think back then it was uh, it was really really hard. So yeah, man. But um, I wanna I wanna like get to the the medicine part. Yeah, we, we've spoken about football. Um, your time at Hartfree is over. Um, mm. Where are you looking now? Like, what was your decision? Like, like wh- where did you go from here? So I, I think uh, in my second year of Hartbury, um, uh, I played for Forest Green under-18s. Um, and this, again, was a new experience, I think, I didn't know, I didn't go there thinking I could play for like another side. I thought like college was just it. So when one of the players at the club, um, at Harpy was like, ah, oh, Forest Green are holding trials, like come along. I was like, okay. I'd never heard of Forest Green. Uh, so went to Forest Green, played a great season there. They had a first team and a second team. Uh, started off in the second team, ended up moving to the first team and was kind of like switching in between. Uh, was able to find my form quite quick. Um, I think I did eight goals in maybe 16 appearances for the second team and maybe 10 goals in that like 12 appearances for the first team. Um, and I at the time that season they played at the first team's home ground at the new lawn so this was like the first time i played on the floodlights uh, and it was just like man i i don't want this to stop so my hope was i was gonna get um offered something again didn't really know what the offer would even look like so when like heartbreak officially end and Forest Green season officially end. I just knew I had to go back to London where home was. Um, always knew I wanted to go to uni, but I was kind of like in a predicament as to, I have this BTEC, I've got like a, what do they call it? Distinction, distinction, distinction. What can I do with this? Like, what sort of careers do people go down? Like, I think Hartbury had affiliations with uh, University of the West of England. So if you were doing like physiotherapy or sports exercise science, that type of qualification, you could apply to like Hartbury and stay on. But I just knew that nothing really in the sports industry really caught my attention. I did consider sports medicine um, just because I've always been fascinated by science. Um, but then I was just kind of like, hey, I don't know what I'm going to apply for. A good challenge would be to study medicine and become a doctor. But um, I kind of knew that if I wanted to go down that route, just because when I was growing up, like my parents would be like, oh, 
you're going to become a doctor and I used to watch ER and things that those types of shows I used to always find it fascinating um I just knew that a BTEC wouldn't get me into medicine um I applied just off the cuff um didn't get in but wasn't expecting to get in um ironically like the day of my heart re-interview the interview was like I've looked at your grades do you know you can do a levels here and I was just like ah oh, I didn't know that and he was just like I think based off your grades you should do a levels and I was like am I gonna be able to play for the football team and he was like probably not and I said I'm not gonna do it uh and I was just I don't I don't I don't regret that decision but then it came I came back to London I remember sitting down with my mom and my mom was like well it's up to you you could either study law because she had just maybe at the age of like 46 or 47 decided she was going to go and study law she was like you can go and study law and then you can just use my notes and just be like my understudy or you um can just go and do like a basic science degree and just kind of see where that takes you um uh so i decided to do the basic science degree uh was at london met university in north london which is right next to the arsenal stadium um and then did that for a year and really enjoyed it i just did basic biology but basics chemistry did a bit of psychology and like lab work and then when I finished that, um, I think I tried to actually tried to get Julian to come to London Met, and then I think they gave you like a unconditional offer, uh, and the grades were like super super low, and you were just like, no 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 no, like I'm better than that, I'm not gonna go there. Um, but then I ended up moving to the University of East London um, and did biomedical science, and I think it was maybe about after a year of that, that I was kind of like, I actually like learning science, I actually like learning biology, cells, understanding how the body works. Uh, and it was probably then, probably at the age of maybe 21, going on 22, that I realized, hey, uh, I think I want to become a doctor, but like, yeah, the journey from when I decided to want to become a doctor to when I actually started medical school was probably seven years. And in between that time frame, uh, I think there were three or four applications to get into medical school. Um, but yeah, I think the, the, the journey to medicine, I think with every rejection, I kind of had to ask myself like why um until this day i even said it yesterday when i was at gp placement that like besides like football i don't think i'd love anything else more okay the only thing i i found out that i love more is like medicine and being in the hospital like and it was one of one of those two things like if medicine didn't cut i'll probably try and go pro try and get into the national league or something <laughs> uh, but like 
yeah, I think I'm, I think I've found my sweet spot, man. That's good, that's good. I feel like I found my sweet spot. That's good. I was going to say, so you, so like, let's break it down. So it's that clear step by step. So <laughs> you've left Hartbury, you've <laughs> gone to London Met. What did you study at London Met? Uh, it was just like a basic science, basic science degree. Basic science degree. So it's like a foundation degree. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. you went to the University of East London and you studied, what was Biomedical it? Science. Biomedical science. And then from there, what was the next? Because I know you did, you did master's. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I did a master's <laughs> in neuroscience at neuroscience. 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 And then so like this this let's just count how many years this is. So you heart left heart pre at 18. 18. So 18, you did and then the foundation was at one year. One year, so 19. And then you did the biomedical biomedical science. Yeah, three that, years. Three years, so that's four years total, plus yeah. the uh, masters. Was that one or two? Two years. Two years, and then after that, is that when you entered medical school? So after that, I worked. Yeah, I worked for like three years. So I worked from like twenty four to twenty seven. Twenty four to twenty seven. you worked, and yeah. you're working at was that was that Great Ormond Street. Great so you're, you're in the hospital you're on the ground you're responding to i'm assuming like you're sending out appointment letters Correct. all pre pre-covid yeah pre-COVID. yeah pre-covid so get, like this say like great ormond hospital uh, hospital just break it down like what a day in the life would that look like like what was your so I, I i started off as a medical secretary so i was like the right hand of consultant oncologists. So these doctors specialized in cancer in the children. Uh, and I was, I would manage their calendar, manage their, their clinic appointments. Um, they would give us, so it was me and another lady, they would give us their dictations. So, and then we'll transcribe their dictations into like letter forms. They would proofread it, put their signature, post it off. We would take appointments and just basically organize their lives for them. Um, so I did that for 18 months. Um, and what the day would look like, so I'd get in about 9 o'clock, um, probably between 9 and 9.15, the postman would come around and come like in a yellow bag and you'd basically split um, the letters into consultants. You'd open all the letters. And you basically proof, basically quickly read it and just see if there's anything urgent. You separate the urgent ones, um, and you would stamp the date that you received it, put in their pigeonhole, and you'd sign into your emails, um, and just basically action anything that was urgent. So maybe a patient would have sent you an email saying, "I can't make this appointment," or. Um, maybe for like a patient that um, had housing issues and they needed a doctor to write a letter to maybe justify why they needed a two bed rather than a one bed, yeah, basically yeah. action, that kind of stuff. Um, and then you'd spend the most part of your days just um, taking phone calls from patients, both international and local, uh, contacting local hospitals, um, 
if you were expecting results for your your consultant and then um, rearranging hospital appointments um, as well as sorting out letters as well so that was pretty much what the day would look like i was just like a, a pa okay. uh, to, to consultants and then um half halfway through um i moved to another role which is like performance and data management so my role was more um these are various hospital appointments under this specialty um we have maybe six appointments a day five days a week and we have maybe 200 patients that we need to try and see and my job was basically to speak to management and say hey our workload in terms of how many patients are coming in don't fit into these slots we need to either hire a new doctor um because mm. the idea was because great Ormond Street is what you call a tertiary hospital and it's consultant led um there were time frames that the government set for the doctors to see the patients or the hospital will pay a fine so my role was basically just to say hey this patient is usually called the 18-week referral to treatment rtt this patient has been waiting for an appointment for four weeks and we don't have slots for the next eight weeks to save us paying this fifteen thousand pound fine for instance do we need to hire a temporary doctor do we need to extend the clinic? Uh, and I was basically just advocating, just saying, hey, this fine, we can't avoid it. Just know that this is gonna come. Um, but on the flip side, just say, hey, like this is what I think we should say, this is what we should do. And just begging doctors to like try and see more patients. So that's what my that's what my work life was there for like three and a half years. That's crazy. Like I I don't think I would ever even have had that insight into like I like even you just saying that a hospital could get fined for not being able to fit a certain amount of patients in I was like oh wow that's crazy I didn't I didn't even know that would be a thing because mm. it's almost a thing that oh yeah you're going to be waiting lists are really long do you know what I mean or mm -hmm. you, I might not be able to see I know for me if something was wrong with me sometimes I might hesitate to even try and contact a doctor because I just feel like Oh, I'm not going to see them for mm. ages. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? By the time I see them, I'm going to be well again or something, yeah. you know? Yeah. So there's that. I know it sounds very, very interesting. And and do you want to give like a, a overview in terms of like where you are now? Um, I know you're studying, but you're obviously gaining experience at the same time. And then as you talk about that as well, just kind of like touch on fatherhood over over the, how that overlaps you know yeah. with what you're doing now so yeah so i'm halfway through a five-year degree i'm year three of medicine um i've moved away from london because the university i got into was um outside of london actually not too far from gloucester actually um so yeah, eventually started medicine. I think at, I think I was twenty eight when I started, so I'm now now thirty. Um, medicine's intense, man. Medicine is intense, and I'll be lying if I said that my time at Great Ormond Street hasn't really shaped me. 
because like doc becoming a doctor isn't sexy. Like I think with COVID, like it's I think the medical field has been scarred and it will take a, a while to recover. Um but yeah nonetheless like I think I I'm happy that uh, with the journey I'm on like it's a lot of a lot of learning a lot of um dealing with uh new information um new levels of professionalism um adapting to responsibility but I think also besides my time at Great Ormond Street I think there's a lot of transferable skills that I've taken from football into medicine like teamwork um valuing contribution um leadership self-discipline and things like that um me and my wife had a baby boy uh approaching eight months now um which has been yeah you guys are fathers man there's just nothing like it man there's just nothing like it like um yeah but i think that's you know that's recent times presented like new challenges just because of how young he is like i think in the last two weeks there's been a a number of nights where I've left the house before he's fully awake and come home when he's asleep. And it's just like, okay, like I need to kind of like do my best to adjust my schedule. So I don't feel like he's, he's going to forget me if that makes sense. Um, but on top of that, you know, just understanding that uh, it's a lot on um my wife and it's important that i manage you know my medical career with marriage and parenthood and like it's a juggle like i don't i don't have it all together it's 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 a juggle there's apologies when i need to apologize um i think even more recently like i just had to tell my wife that you know like i would like to be the person that says i'll i'll be home at 5 30 and like make it happen but like i've just had i've just had to accept that medicine sometimes won't allow me to do that you know like if you think it's going to take maybe 15 minutes to talk to a patient and you realize man the patient says they're depressed you know because of covid they have no visitors and like you're the first person that's sitting down with them to talk to them and then you realize man like forget trying to ask what this person's past medical history. They just want to kind of talk to someone, you know, mm. and then you realize your 15 minute goes to 40 minutes. And then, yeah, you realize that, oh man, I, I wanted to leave here for five thirty, but I can't, you know, so that's where I'm at now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm juggling, juggling with a smile, but uh, I'm juggling, man. I'm juggling. Yeah. Uh, it's good, man. It's, it's, I, I feel like, I know how hard it is. Do you know what I mean? And obviously, we got different obstacles and different challenges ourselves. All three of us being fathers and uh, adjusting to just fatherhood in itself, I feel like it's a challenging one. 
and you have to wear a certain hat to kind of get through it one being like you kind of have to lead a lot or you have to you make sacrifices and and stuff like that and it sounds like you're making a lot of those at the moment like in my head i'm like because obviously you're you're a married man so like if we just use traditional uh what's the word traditional stereotypes so to speak like the man's meant to be the breadwinner the provider do you know what Mm -hmm. i mean that's kind of what you're meant to be and like you're having to juggle being that as well as a student as well as you know being a father Mm -hmm. (laughs) as well so your husband do do i mean so it's like there's all these responsibilities that maybe other peers in your course don't even have to face and alone like they don't even face in those things and they might not even be able to like Get the grades that you might be getting and you're like why you got mm. you got so much time <laughs> do mm. you know what i mean and like um so it's it's good that we are now like myself and jamal are able to just say to you like we're proud of what you're doing do you know what i'm sure. saying and just keep going and you'll you'll achieve what it is that you want to achieve do you mm. know what i'm saying because that journey that you've just gone on is unique mm. you know what i mean from football you just mentioned how football has helped shape you to be ready for medicine. Mm-hmm. Did that like not many people would be able to say that? Like yeah. footballs, like me being in a changing room has helped me to be able to lead in a certain way mm-hmm. or work in a team in a certain way. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's really important to 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 share that. Yeah, um, I was gonna say yeah, it's important to highlight that because a lot of people coming out of of football at 16, 17, 18, don't see a a power for them outside of sport or fitness. So I think it's important to highlight that there are other are other routes to go down in they might be unique like yours, AJ, and and might lead to medicine or might lead to a different a different path. But there are paths outside of that fitness world that you can kind of take the skills, even if it's softer skills that you've learned throughout your football career into a into a different space. I agree. Have you seen that I think Crystal Palace have come out with this initiative for people that they've that have been recently released uh, from their academy, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't duff my hat, you know, to them anymore because I think I don't know if it's the fault of social media or maybe now a lot more people are woke to how lucrative football is. That man, you're not even sixteen like 15 you know like maybe even like Odegaard for instance when he was in Norway and he went to Real Madrid I can't remember how old he was but like 16, yeah. massive contract big enough to move his whole family you know um so like it's the you know it's the idea like you're at a professional club and Fair enough, you know, they force you, you know, to, to put in a lot of work, you know, possibly move away, you know, drop out of school to focus on football, you know, and then you don't get pro, or you go get injured, you know, and you feel like your life's gone, man. But there's def- there's definitely more out outside of football. Definitely more outside of football. Now, I like what you said, Jamal, as far as, like, softer skills, man. Like, yeah, I think... You know the sort of people that I've surrounded myself with. Julian, you know, said I'm 
maybe one of his guardian angels, I would definitely say for sure. I remember conversations where Julian might say things like, if we're both playing for a local club and Arsenal comes along uh, and Man United comes along and there's an opportunity, you know, for us to go our separate ways, like, would you take it? And I, I, used, I used to say, you know, like, yeah, like if the money's good and I get to play my position and June be like, no, you're just going to leave me alone. <laughs> and then I think those sort of things, you know, would teach me loyalty, you know? Um, and yeah, like it's, it's, you know, it's softer skills like, like that, you know, that people can take on, you know, beyond football, man, that like you can actually pick something or pick someone and stay loyal, you know, to it. So there's more to football, man. And that, that, you know, secretly that can help you with marriage, your love life. Like, there's, you know, the list could go on, you know what sure. I mean? And um, one thing that I feel like I realised when it came to football is that you can use it as a tool. So we're always kind of guided that football is the place that you want to be to make millions and you get blinded by those lights. But really and truly, there are so much other things that you can gain that are not necessarily financial that will just help you in other aspects of your life. And like, like for one thing, <laughs> like me and my missus, we always talk about this. Um, we might look at like different flags of the world. I know almost every flag. Mm. <laughs> like, and that just comes from football. <laughs> Does it come yeah. from nothing else? Cause I, I, I laugh at my missus and like, what you, you don't know what flag that is. That's the Ghana flag or that's the Nigerian flag. Mm. Or, do you know what I mean? And she's like, oh, I've never seen this flag before or whatever, but World Cups, Euros, you know, all these different things. And it's like, I learned that from, you know, I know exactly where it is. I know the names. I could look at somebody's last name and be like, oh, that's a Nigerian name. Or, oh, that's, yeah, that's probably a Belgian, you know, like different things like that. These are all like different soft skills that are just not even mentioned half the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know I mean? For sure. Oh, yeah, man. But it's been a it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so um, much. Love, man. Love, love. And uh we're gonna uh quickly do our, our usual quick hot seat question. Mm. Um I'm gonna pose it to you first before posing it to Jamal's as we usually do. Uh so this should appear at the bottom of the screen. So a hot seat question is are you a person who sees the glass as half full or half empty? And what are the benefits of both? Mm. That's a good question, man. I'm not a person that sees the glass as half empty. Uh, I would say half, half full. Yeah, I would say half full. I, I would like to think that I'm quite optimistic and quite resilient and yeah kind of like have a, a drive to for more so I, I, I would probably say I, I see I see myself or see the glass as half full I guess the benefit of that I think for me I think I've been able to bounce back from some some tough situations um, just because of that perspective um but i think equally uh 
maybe have been unrealistic at times as well with that with that mentality. But yeah, I think for me, I would say I see the glass as half 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 full. Half full. Wicked, um, wicked, wicked, wicked. What about you, Jam? Yeah, I think the same. To be fair, um, yeah, definitely see it as half full. I think again, I feel like I've always tried to stay optimistic with my with my thoughts, even if I do kind of over over predict certain things or get my estimations wrong or or, or if I picture goals that are too far out of reach, I kind of always try to to kind of think that way. Um. I guess when I haven't, it may, it may have been at my, my lower times and you can, can kind of limit yourself with those with those expectations you set yourself. But yeah, but for the yeah, majority of the time, definitely, definitely helpful. That's good, man. That's good. I think for me, I, I find it hard to say that I'm just half full because I like to think I am, but I feel like it's situational. Like there's certain things... And I'm like, yo, okay, yeah, optimistic there, completely. But then there's other things I'm like, yeah. like, it could be like, like, let's say, for example, when I was younger, I never went out. My heart, because my expectation was rubbish. Like, my my thing is, okay, it's half empty. Like, if we go there, we're going to do this, get the shirt to you, da, 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 and then, like, I can't play football the next day. But the reality mm-hmm. is that you, you can still... You can still probably go out and set us a limit and have a good time and still play football the next day. But I'm mm-hmm. like looking at it in certain certain aspects. So for me, um, I feel like I'm a proper balance between the two. It just really depends on the on the on the situation. But I do feel like depending on the situation, if you do look at a glass being half empty or half full, it can protect you from certain things. Uh, in that situation, do you know what I mean? Because you, you definitely need to, because there's a limit, like you guys mentioned, there's like, if you look at something and you're too optimistic, it almost puts you in dreamland. And it's like, that's not like a realistic element anymore. Do you know what I mean? Then you start overestimating, not reaching the goals and you keep moving the goalposts and blah, blah. But there's an element where you need to kind of bring it back home and, okay, look, this is the actual situation. It, the, the glass is actually half empty, so we need to fill it up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I feel like there's there's that element. So, yeah, man. Um, thank you guys for answering that, man. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to wrap it up there, man. Uh, AJ, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you. Thank you for talking to you, man. No worries, man. No worries, no worries. Sharing your journey, trust me, this will be important to somebody. Um, I like to do these kind of career specials where we can talk to people who have come from one aspect of life and now they're trying to go to somewhere else. And it just shows that, especially to the kids these days, I mentor quite a few kids and I want them to know that you don't need to feel like you have to make this one decision right now, that there's so much pressure on them. Like they don't understand that, like, they, they, like especially like people in like year nine and year ten, picking their GCSEs. They feel like if I don't choose this GCSE, I can't become a lawyer. And it's yeah. like, whoa, you, there's so much more of life that you haven't experienced yet to know what you even like. Just yeah. try things. Just try mm. things. Do you know what I mean? And you'll find your path. So, yeah, your story is very important. So I just want you to know that as well. So, um, yeah, man, a pleasure. And obviously. 
jam. Boy, we're gonna add something to that jam. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say, like, main, main takeaway for me from from the pod today is, I think the ability to think long term. I think just just AJ um AJ speaking about his career to date and his footballing journey. They're both, I guess, long term strategies. Almost, he's he's thought about the start and the end goal. No matter how long it may take, he's kind of stuck and he's he's compounded those thoughts, those actions, and it's led to where he is today. So to definitely definitely take a lot from that because like you said, people can get so caught up with the now and making these short term decisions without thinking where they actually want to be. So yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been insightful, man. Yeah, really appreciate 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 you coming on and yeah, definitely learn learn a lot. Thank you. Love man. All right, we're gonna wrap it up there. Thank you for listening to the social living podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, follow. We're out on all listening or all audio platforms. I'm your host, Julian Green, and my co-host, Jamal Lawrence. We out.